This week's episode is brought to you by the PowerToolHub.ie. PowerToolHub.ie offer the sales and service of all top power tool brands, including DeWalt, Makita, Bosch, Milwaukee, Hitachi, Paslobe, Senko, and many, many more. You can find them at Brooks Builders Providers, Bluebell Dublin 12, and Sandy for Dublin 18. Also online at www.powertool.ie and also on their social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the 22nd of August, 1972. A bank robbery is taking place. This robbery should have taken 10 minutes. Four hours later, the bank was like a circus sideshow. Eight hours later, it was the hottest thing on live TV. Twelve hours later, it was history. Ladies and gentlemen, let Christy Take It give you Dog Day Afternoon. There's a way out. Now, all you gotta do is cooperate with me. Robbing a bank's a federal offense. They got me on kidnapping, armed robbery. They're gonna bury me, man. I'm here with my partner and nine other people. See, we're dying. Derek, we're spreading like a bad smell. You just can't get rid of It's drifting across the globe. Everywhere. So we got an email this week from a guy working and living in Singapore. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the podcast is getting out there where we're reaching the far corners of the world. Yeah, we, I could see different countries coming up on, on the facts now when I'm, when I'm doing research online. And I could see Singapore. So I was delighted now that we have a name and somebody that's listening there. So it's yeah. great. Good to hear you there. So we'd like to say thanks to Robbie O'Toole, originally from Talat, working and living in Singapore. Gave us a shout and said, listen, he's been listening to the podcast and he's enjoying them. So Robbie, thanks very much. Yeah, great to have you on board. And so we're back to movies this week after a couple of interviews and we've been itching to go back and do a film. So we decided to go with probably the... Well, we were on such a high yeah. from the interview last week. We couldn't let the momentum drop. No. So the film that we've picked... Well, before you name the film, well, they're going to know if they're going to click on it because it's going to be on the title. But I think in, the, in, in heist movies, what's your favourite heist movies that you like? Like trying to think of bank heist movies. Store Crazy? The Inside Man. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, uh, was could you class it? Well, Point Point Break, the one the surfers they rob banks. Remember? Yeah, but that was a good one. Wasn't the ex presidents. Yeah, um, but the, the the best one is the one we're going to talk about today. The film that we're going to cover today is Dog Day Afternoon, the nineteen seventy five movie by Sidney Lumet, starring the brilliant Al Pacino and, and even the, better, even better, and unfortunately very short lived career of uh, John Casale. Um, an amazing, amazing actor. But this performance is just phenomenal. I, I, everybody thinks of Dog Day Afternoon, think of Pacino, but I think Cazelle. It's just it, what an understated performance. And we'll get into it as we go forward through the podcast. But it, like, he, 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 what an actor! Like, what an actor! Well, he only made four or five movies in but his in his career, and each, but each one of those five movies 
were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. I'm going to say, what, four or five? Godfather 1, Godfather 2, The Conversation, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter, yeah. The Deer Hunter, very sad story behind his role in The Deer Hunter. He was he was living with Meryl Streep. She, he was his girlfriend at the time. No, um, she was his girlfriend. Yeah, that's what did I say? He said he was her girlfriend. Well, <laughs> in the week that's in it. <laughs> and the film that's in it. <laughs> yeah, the week that's in it and in the film that's in it. Um, and he was sick. He had uh, terminal lung cancer, I think. Yeah. And what was a bone cancer? I think I'm not sure it was cancer. It was it was, it was cancer, definitely cancer. Yeah, but uh, he, they, he, they wanted him for the role, but they just couldn't insure him. And Meryl Streep kind of used her little bit of clout and got him the role. And yeah. he, he was amazing in it as well. And I think if he had lived, he would have outshone Scorsese. Or, uh, not Scorsese. He would have been in the main player Scorsese films, but he would have outshone De Niro and Pacino. I definitely. You, 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 we'd be sitting here now talking to him, talking about him in the same vein as De Niro, Pacino, Coitel, all of these heavyweight actors, you know. He definitely, he definitely. You can imagine the man he'd ever Him and De Niro, or, or him and uh, Pacino were friends, actually. They had a, a job together, kind of a menial job that he worked, and they knew each other before the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they got, when they made The Godfather 1 and 2 together, when the role of Sal came up for Dog Day Afternoon, they wrote the, uh, the Frank Pereri, I think I can't remember the, the, the scriptwriter's name. He was the only one to win an Oscar. This film yeah. was nominated five, for five yeah. Oscars. Only won one because every other Oscar that year was won by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. But when Frank Pereri, I'm going to get, I know I'm getting the name wrong, um, was writing the script. He wrote the character of Sal as an 18-year-old, beautiful, cherubic, almost um, artistic-looking, gorgeous-looking kid. And when Pacino wanted Casal for the role, Lumet was like not a not yeah, yeah not a hope in hell because he was older than Pacino. But he was a few yeah, years. he was in his forties. He looked yeah. like he was in his forties, but yeah, he was in his forties. And as a favor to Pacino. Lumet let him read for the role and he, after about two or three lines he just stopped him and he said he, he just felt so internally guilty for, for, for having that pre-determined um, image of a character. He said, you've got the role. Yeah. And together the two of them are, are dynamic on screen. They're such polar kind of opposites. Um, Sonny is, is manic and disheveled and tired looking and Sal has a mixture of vulnerability, but also of viciousness. Yeah, the sad and eyes. It's the sad eyes, and Casal just brings it all out on the screen. Yeah, phenomenal performance. Um, of course, well, we're going to get into the whole story of the movie, and if you haven't seen the movie, and we're kind of presuming everybody has seen it, but I'd recommend that you watch it probably before you even go any further in this podcast. Well, when we mentioned that we were going to be doing it, um, my brother Patrick asked me, what film are you going to be doing this week? And we said, Dog Day Afternoon. Ever seen it? Yeah. So he's in the process of watching it right now. Yeah, no, and we recommend watching it. And it's one I haven't seen in a while, but I watched it again for research for this, and it's a great movie. Outstanding. Like, Just, like first, it hasn't even got much of a scenery. Like, it's it's kind of shot the bank, the few scenes. I think it only... The setups are only in... There's four total setups, as in uh, different areas they film. But predominantly, it's the bank, the street, and the barbershop across the road. They do do one uh, setup or one night. They do one night's filming in JFK. They're only allowed to have one night. But we can't really talk about the film without really talking about what set the movie up. That on the 22nd of August, 1972, this guy, Sonny Wasak. Yeah, Wasak. Yeah, yeah. He changed his name, shortened his name for the movie. Yeah. Um, robbed the bank with his best friend, 
in order to pay for his gay lover's sex change. Yeah, and he'd done the robbery on, it was kind of spur of the moment, he'd watched The Godfather. Yeah. And so they were going to rob a bank and he kind of tied this kid, and the young lad was a kid who went along with him, to John Cazale kind of guy, and so, uh, yeah, they decided to rob a bank and just went wrong from the start, like. But, so the director, Sidney Lumet, very, very famous director, I think he made like something like 15 or 20 films, even before making Dog Day Afternoon, a very rigid, very regimented director. It's all about the script. It's all about the setups. Everything is tight. And for this film, he just kind of loosened the reins. It was, he tried to in, interpret like it was like a play. Normally he gave everybody about a week to two weeks of rehearsals for this film. He gave everybody three weeks and he watched and filmed all of the imp improvisation that was going on between all the characters and all the actors and recorded it. And that became the script. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in as the as the course of the movie runs on that even the other actors weren't prepared for. We'll talk, you know, there's a lot of stuff we, we're, we're going to cover, but um, the 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 movie starts with uh, just fleeting shots all around New York City, and it was shot like that ad hoc. It wasn't planned; just drove no, around no, the camera. No, no, yeah. got a camera and they just drove around New York and very reminiscent of Rocky. Uh, yeah. in Philadelphia they just took scenes and cuts of New York City uh, to with the song Anna Perina no it's an Elton John song but this was in the script and they put it in when they were making it and they were going to get rid of it anyway but they just put it into it and they decided they got so used to it that they couldn't have it without yeah they it brought it in. back in but they, what they've done is kind of like we were in our past episode Sean uh, we spoke about how the, the scene reacts so this music's actually on in the car so we're kind of involved in automatically we're in with these guys yeah. we're listening to that car radio and it's the only bit of music in the film like, yeah so as i said it starts off with these kind of b-roll movie shots and you think that the last shot is actually a b-roll movie shot you can hear out and john singing and what you realize is as the car pulls up it's a uh, sunny sal al pacino john casal and, and this younger he runs off yeah yeah he, he has what happened in real life yeah like. he hasn't got the nerve to do it and he turns off the radio. So the song that we've been listening to during this whole B-roll uh, movie intro, it almost lures you in. You don't realize that the film has actually started. Yeah. Um, they, they go into the bank and you can you can almost see it's just, it's it's not, you can see it's not gonna go well. Um, Sal played by John Casal goes in and he he's walking around, he's got that nervous pallor. De uh, Pacino I was very close to saying De Niro. Yeah, uh, very close. Yeah, I've said it, I can't say anything, I've said it already. Yeah. Um, Pacino goes in and he's got this big long flower box. <laughs> like, what the hell? Um, and he he pulls the box apart. And this is really happens. When he pulled the box apart as they were filming it, the box got caught in the rifle. And you can see him shaking, spinning the rifle around, trying to get rid of the box. They left all that yeah, in. Yeah, and it all. makes it look ad hoc. Yeah. It makes it look even more authentic. The, the realism in the film. So that we, we, could, we just see that's a, a kind of a forebearer that this is just not going to go well. Well, I love it when uh, Casella goes in and he sits at the bank manager and he's just sitting there like he has an appointment and just opens the briefcase and takes it out. And it's just really relaxed, just pointing around. A machine gun. A machine gun, yeah. He's just yeah. pointing around like, and the manager's just looking out like, what's going on here? So, uh, so yeah, so they, 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 in the process of robbing the bank, um, they, 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 what we don't, we find out uh, as Pacino was talking that he knows the inner workings of a bank. He worked for, he was a teller in a bank. Yeah. So he knows about the fake money. He knows about the the alarm under the under the um, the counter. He goes into the 
the vault with one of the tellers and he said fill it up and there's only like about 200 grand they were expecting much more all the money had been taken that afternoon to the local depot so straight away he said oh jesus just runs out takes all the money out of the tills few bob not much and traveler's checks remember traveler's yeah, checks yeah, you yeah. go on your first holiday yeah, you had had traveler's checks. Checks, yeah and so why not run why not go no he has to get the book of all the accounts and he's trying to burn the book yeah. of people's accounts and this sets off the alarms. i was watching it i was as we were researching this i was watching the movie just thinking get that get out just get out apps to run no he moves take his head off put the gun on him get out of the second sonny i can't do it sonny what i i'm not gonna make it sonny what are you talking about? Put it on him. I can't do it, Sonny. Oh, fuck me. Sal. Sal. What? Where are you? He can't make it. Fuck him. Let him go. Come on, Sonny. So word gets out that there's a robbery at the local bank and the reinforcements arrive for the Calvary arrive. The Calvary arrive, um, led by the late, great Charles Dorning, leader of the NYPD, or not leader, but you know, the, the guy who they put yeah. in charge to do the... Eugene Moretti. Eugene Moretti. Yeah. Um, and the FBI then end up coming and it's led by a guy called James Broderick. Yeah, whose son went on to become a, a, an actor who had a famous day off. Uh, Matthew Broderick's yeah. father played the leader of the FBI. And then Matthew Finney, he visited the set, didn't he? He was there, his first time to work with uh, the director. Well, well first time to see him. Yeah, it's he, he did end up working with him yeah. on a, a, pro, a film called Family Business. Sean Connery and that, and Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yes, Kieran. Yes, he was. Yeah. You're very good at remembering stuff. Ah, it just comes to me so easily. <laughs> um, so they obviously they tell them they come outside. Um, they're trying to give their um, what's the word they look at? What's that? Their demands. The demands yeah. yeah, demands. He said, "Look, you're not going to get anything." But all of this was very much improvised. Oh yeah, yeah. Very, very much. And the phone rings, and and um, Pacino's on the phone. All of it is is. Just ninety-five percent of it was just off the cuff. Yeah. At one point, when during the course of the day they kind of get the, the girls and the ladies who they have a hostage, not don't have them on side, but the girls they're feeling a bit sympathy for them because like everything's gone to shit and they can see they're not really in danger. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not in danger. And but they hear someone out the back, and the gun goes off. When Al Pacino runs out onto the street and says to Charles Dorning, "Like what the fuck are you at the doing here?" The gun. Charles Dorning didn't know what he was going to say. And if you look at Charles Dorning's face, it's a look of surprise. Uh, and it's all very much done straight off the cuff. Yeah, and it does have that natural feel on it, doesn't it? That, you know, that, and even uh, the, the scenes that, like, that trained him with the gun, you can see he's happened to get friendly with the girls. And like, at first he felt under threat and he didn't know what was happening, but sure, the, the, bank, the, the bank manager's unwell, his diabetes hitting him, he's in the corner, you know, so he doesn't feel threatened at all he's having a little snooze. Yeah, and, as you yeah. said, Pacino hands one of the girls a rifle and, and it's teaching, drills, her, yeah. teaching her the Marine drill. Because the guy was a Marine, he, Sonny. He, he was, yeah, Sonny, I, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, Wolotnik. Yeah, they, they changed his name in the film because he gave him a really small fee. They gave him seven and a half grand. Plus a, a, one percentage of the gross, so. Yeah. So the, the film was made, I think, only for about 400,000, went on to make 
50 million at the box office in the US alone. And as we said, it was nominated for a multitude of Oscars. Um, the we, we did mention that it was Al Pacino was robbing the bank to pay for his boyfriend's sex change. Yeah. And in the week that's in it, it's LBGTQ yeah. Awareness Week this week. We yeah. didn't we didn't plan this. No, no, and it's funny that we, we were just discussing this off mic that uh, that the week that's in and this film this film has been has been held up now as a kind of a testimony that it was the first kind of film that openly uh, embraced homosexuality as a, a as a team yeah and the whole transgender movement it was the first kind of movie to address that now the movie tones down Sonny's real exploits in real life because there was a lot more stuff going on but it tones it down it makes him likable the real Sonny is not nowhere or was he's dead now was nowhere near as likable as the Pacino character but I think if you had to portray that character in the movie you would be rooting for the cops you won't be rooting for these guys to get away yeah and actually when the real event took place the the, the the news report, not the news report, apologies, the magazine article that was written was yeah. called The Boys in the Bank, yeah. which was the original title for the film. That's right. And the description of Sonny, the real guy, uh, Sonny Watnick, was a young Al Pacino. Yeah. And Al Pacino seen this on the news. He watched it kind of live, the, the, the standoff, didn't take much note of it, um, and was originally offered the part by Lumet. Lumet wanted him to do the part. Pacino said no. Yeah, well, he was straight off the Godfather. Straight off the Godfather too. He was. He was frazzled. He was born down. Well, in in the Dominican Republic, when they were down in the Dominican Republic, he actually had a breakdown and he had to go into hospital for a week, mm. and he had just come off it. And he said, "Absolutely." He not. worked with Lamento for on uh, Serpico, wasn't it? Serpico. He worked with him on that, and he knew the intensity of this guy. So I think that's kind of what put him off doing it. That he thought, you know, "There's no way I can come from working with Coppola to this to do that, and then work with this guy again." Because we didn't realize, of course, that we was going to be kind of. Do you, do you know what triggered him to take the role? Well, his good friend Dustin Hoffman was offered the role. <laughs> he was offered the role. And he knew, he tore it down and we heard Hoffman was offered it. He said, I'm not, I'm not letting him get it, I'm going to get it. So he took the role and he grew a big moustache, a big handlebar moustache, just to try and make more gayness of the character. Yeah. But they didn't like it. And they co- it actually cost them money because... It cost them a day's filming. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, at the end of the day, they were looking at the rushes or, and Pacino said, it just doesn't look right. And they asked if they could um, film it all again. But... Al Pacino, the his boy, sorry, his boyfriend is played by the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Chris Sarandon. Nominated for Academy Award. His one. only nomination yeah. ever in his career. Didn't get one for Friday. No, I was just going to say, uh, Chris Sarandon has gone on to play a multitude of characters. But for me, he's played two of the best bad guys in movies ever. Yeah. He was Jerry Dandridge in Fright Night. Yeah. And he Prince Humperdinck. In the Princess Bride. That's right. Yeah, two of them. And mate. just he is just an over-the-top uh, expression actor, and you can't help but kind of dislike, sort of dislike him. But in the back of your mind, thinking he's bloody cool. But he looks like the real Leon Shermer. Like you see, Leon Shermer, the, the real Leon that was married to Sonny, was really tall. And you see the pictures of him, like, big difference. And he looks like that. He does have the look of. Yeah, he was brilliant. He he, he kind of he camps it up. Yeah, well, he, he does camp it up because. The, the real Leon Shermer, who went on to have the sex change and went on and lives now, I think I think is still alive. Oh, died of AIDS. Died of AIDS, yeah. Uh, lived his life as a woman. And so he, he Chris Sarandon plucked his eyebrows, made himself as feminine as possible, teased his hero, and was this almost um, lost soul, like a little, yeah. you know, little, a, a boy. And he said, son, you know, he's, he's, he threatened me with a knife. I tried to get away from him. I tried to kill myself. I was being in a hospital. They're taking care of me. I don't want to be with this guy. 
but they were married and they the picture that they used in the movie was nowhere near the picture of the real life wedding because they like what you said earlier on if they had shown the photograph of the wedding versus what we saw on the screen you'd almost be rooting for the police to come in uh, this guy Sonny was not a nice guy whatsoever no um, there's actually video footage of the wedding as well yeah uh, that, that, but they, they kind of buried that they didn't want people to see that before the film like it was released because there's, like, there's video footage of the the news it's actually local news showed it because this came out and then they're all this became live news and this is probably the, in the live TV still early days and they showed footage of that wedding on their newsreel and uh it kind of divided the audience like the, the gay community somewhere rooting for him and some said no this guy is not a nice guy he doesn't represent the community so there was a kind of split on it there so they didn't want that associated with the film you know they wanted they wanted Sonny to be rooting like I remember watching we were to room for Sonny they wanted him to be yeah uh, I mean he's he, all of a sudden we have um, rather he's not seedy in the movie he's a, he's a loser he's a loser who um just wants trying to do the best for you know somebody he loves yeah and he's that's all he is but we don't know but they um the crowds start gathering, right? Because there's, but they hired three hundred extras, but there was six to seven hundred people just outside who were walking by who did not who did not know what was going on. And the real house would have been still in living memory. It wouldn't have been that long. It ago. was only three. This is two and a half years yeah. later. But the, the most famous line out of the movie is when he comes out and he's screaming, "Attica!" Attica. Another improv, yeah. It, it all improv. Yeah. So Attica was Attica prison. There was a big riot in Attica prison, and they damaged a lot of the prisoners. And he was just basically saying, "You just want to kill me, just like in Attica." And the crowds were going crazy. Like over sixty percent of the people there were just standboys. Yeah. You know, they only hired three hundred uh, extras. They're getting into it and giving. Getting into it, and the, even the 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 lesser known members of the cast. So you've got Penelope Allen who played uh, uh, Sylvia. One of the, the lead teller, I'm taking care of my girl. She was had an opportunity to leave and she said, No, I'm not gonna leave. Mm. She was a like almost a surrogate mother for Al Pacino. That's Al Pacino right, yeah. left home at 17 to be an actor and moved in with her and her husband. We see a young Carol Kane. Carol Kane's still acting. She's um she was in the Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, she was oh, the landlady. Yeah, yeah. She was the fairy in do you remember in Scrooge? Scrooge, that's right. Brilliant, brilliant role. And the assistant to the FBI guy is played by the great Lance Henriksen. Oh, Lance Henriksen, yeah, who went on to make. He actually auditioned for the role of Sonny's lover and he wasn't given the role. Actually, he is directly, even though he's in the Terminator 1, he's directly responsible, sort of, for the Terminator being made, or at least getting the green, green lit. When James Cameron wanted to make the Terminator, they wanted to make... Um, kind of a schlocky horror B, cheap B movie and he got Lance Henriksen to put on a pair of dark glasses and a black leather jacket and walk into the movie office I don't know if they whoever made Studio, the Caralco or Orion Pictures I'll say it was Universal because they had that at that the time Orion in Universal and he walked in past the reception where are you going straight past security everyone chasing straight into the office of the of the agent straight past the uh, secretaries walked straight in and just stood over the, the movie executive and your man was shit, shitting himself on the chair and James Cameron came in are you scared? well imagine how 600 people or 300 people would be in a movie theatre mm. and that, that was the the, the, the genesis of, Gen of Terminator he was in a lot Gen of iconic genesis. movies yeah he was in uh, Close Encounters of Torquine as well he, Aliens yeah um, so he's in a lot of great movies Bishop he played Bishop in Aliens yeah 
And then they based that they based that character that they went back to Alien Three and based because he looked like the creator, didn't he? somebody in charge here. I am in charge I don't want here. to talk to some flunky pig trying to calm me. Man. You don't have to be calling What's he pig? doing? And what do you get back what over there? What are you over there? over there for? What do you What's get the doing? fuck back there? Get huh? back What's there. What's he what doing? Look at him with him. Get over there. Go on back there, man. Get over there, will ya? He wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. I'm going to always going to kill you. Attica! 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 on in the bank start building relationships with the people and then we can start seeing like the, the more fragile side of the hostages and the hostage takers and you can see the scene where uh one of the hostages decides to start smoking yeah and john Cazal just says that you know you shouldn't smoke yeah you know your body's a temple yeah and she's there with a machine gun robbing a bank you go what yeah you know i i, I don't smoke why? I don't want to. I don't want to catch cancer. I don't want to get the cancer. I don't want to get the cancer. Yeah. yeah, which unfortunately he did. He had. Yeah, he had. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a nice little nod. But all his scenes and that, like I, as we said, people say this is the Great De Niro movie. It's a, it, it's his movie in my opinion. Really? Yeah, it's his movie. The Great De Niro movie. Did I say De Niro? Yeah. See they are. It's the Great Scorsese movie. Did I say Scorsese? <laughs> no, it's a Great Pacino movie. So there's even the one scene where they're they're on the phone to the police. And there's a couple of phone, there's a couple of phone conversations in the movie, like where Al Pacino is talking to Chris Sarandon. That's all again, all improvised. You know, Chris Sarandon and him just kind of made it up on the cuff about the effects, how he was feeling. Um, the they had turned off the air conditioning in the building, and Pacino was just sweating profusely. He was tired. But he only used to sleep for a couple of hours with yeah, him, he, have he, a cold shower to make him forget. Yeah, oh, manic like. And to make him feel, to make it even worse, Lumet done that scene again. But that's all off the cuff. One of my favourite scenes is the scene where they've decided that, you know, they want to get out and they ask the police to bring them a, we want a jet. We want to get out of here. And he turns around to Sal and the innocence of Sal, played by John Cazal. Hey, Sal, where do you want to go? Anywhere in the world. I, I, I want to go to Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is 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 in the states. Al Pacino didn't know what he was gonna say. If you yeah. look at Al Pacino's face again. Like again, people talk about Sidney Lumet, and he's such a strict, regimented director, and his, all of his films are so well crafted, well put together. And this film was very slapshot, but in a purposeful way, in a very very purposeful way. Yeah, and even like the scenes where the news two homosexuals have hijacked the bank and he's coming down he said I'm not gay I'm not gay make sure yeah, make sure, sure you know. know and I can't control the news like these say these things nobody got to know like do you got to know like, as you can see again that whole fragileness about him so uh, as the film is progressing and they, they, they're not sure what, what, what's going to happen um, Pacino calls he said I, I want to talk I want to talk to um, he, he talks to his, his the two he talks to his real wife and kids and yeah. he wants to talk to the well, his mother and yeah. father are sitting at home yeah. and the father just turns around, you know, and says, that's what happens when you've got a mother who, who, who babies you all the time. So the father was played by the brilliant, brilliant Dominic Chinesi, yeah. who was? He was in... Two iconic characters. Oh, well, he was in uh, one of our past episodes as well. He was in Goodfellas. No. Oh. No. 
One of the was, cast was in Goodfellas. Oh, maybe, but he Dominic Ch- was Johnny Ola in Good in Godfather Two. Uh, yeah. In um in the Dominican Republic yeah. or in Cuba, film the Dominican Republic, and he was also in The Sopranos. I'm glad he was in Goodfellas. He had a small one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll let you have that. One. I researched Goodfellas thoroughly. Thoroughly, I'll have you know. But he was uh, Uncle Junior. Yeah, in a, that's right. Because he's one of the ones that was in the Holy Trilogy. Remember saying in the last episode, oh, were you paying attention that time? I, I was. I think <laughs> you were here. Yeah, I was here. Anyway. Um, so all of these little minute details that you think don't mean anything are all building up to the crescendo. You know, it's it's all. I'm trying to think of a proper good word for it, but it's all purposeful mistakes. They're letting them work their own magic, the actors and actresses. Yeah, I think, and I think it's Lamette's best movie. I personally think it is, in my opinion. I'm a best. big fan of Twelve Angry Men, but yeah, yeah, well, that's a concept. I think it is modern, but that is, it's an unbelievable film, and the fact that it's so off kilter and it's, it's unscripted, it, it, it adds something that you couldn't create to a degree. You know, you couldn't sit down and plan it. It had to, it, and it feels real and the reason why it feels real it's claustrophobic that you're sitting in this bank with them at the start you're in the character listening to the music and then you're in the bank with them you know and it, so it has to have that feeling and, and you know sometimes a script can take away I don't know if you've ever watched something and it's really crisply written but I, you can tell it's crisply written because it's too but, but, but the lines follow like these are just cutting in on top of each other and or the look of shock and it's realism at its best it's the, the look of um, I, I just think the bravery of the actors to just flow with some of the, the lines that were thrown at them. I mean, when Pacino calls Chris Sarandon, Leon, his boyfriend, and he starts talking like he thinks he's gonna die. And this is the last will and testament. And he, he kind of reads out his, off the top of his head, his last will and testament. I wanna leave money from my life savings to my wife. And I'm gonna leave money from my life savings to you. No one has ever loved you as much, or you know, a man as, as much as another man. That whole last will and testament was verbatim, word for word, the last will and testament of the real Sonny. That night, he, he called it out over the phone and they wrote it down. So Pacino was reading out the real last will and testament from the real event. Mm. So the, the realism of that film, there's very few films, I think, for me personally, that carry the, that weight of realism. You know, um, and you, you know, it's never going to, these sort of films or these sort of events, you know, it's never going to end well. Uh, eventually, they they kind of say, Look, we, we want to get a jet. We want to get a jet and we, we want to we want to get to a helicopter. We can't land a helicopter in the street. Well, we want a car to take us to JFK and we want a jet on standby and we're going to go somewhere in the world. And Yeah. You so. know, you, you know what's happening. You know where it's going to end up, you know. Yeah, it's, it's. I remember watching it the first time as a kid and just rooting and hoping to get away. You know, you're, you're as I say, you've built up this connection with these characters, and you're hoping that they get away. But sure, like, like in real life, the real, the real young guy got shot back in the head and killed. Yeah, and in in the film, um, Lance Henriksen is in the front of the car. They had a fake copper, you know, going to give him a bit of joy and saying, you know, and he's like, I know you're a police officer, and they drive. He said. Can you put the gun up in the air? I've got the gun at the back of my head. If we hit a, bu- a speed bump, that's going to go off. They get to JFK. J- uh, James Broderick, Matthew Broderick's father, says to him, are you ready to get out of the car? The side panel falls down. We see the pistol. He said, I'm ready. Are you ready yet? Yeah. He turns around and shoots Sal in the head mm. and puts the gun directly at Sonny's head. And He said, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. He wilts. Absolutely just wilts. And 
that's pretty much where we're left. They they, they, they come in, they the the uh, the girls, the women are all screaming, crying. They get taken away, and we see that he got twenty years. We get some writing up. We got, he got twenty years in prison. He didn't do as long though. He done seven years in prison. Well, I, I remember like if you look back now, wouldn't I think it'd be good if they had have shot Sonny and let Sal survive. I remember being so disappointed as a kid and sad to see Sal die because he was the one you felt sorry for. He was kind of a vulnerable guy who found himself in this situation. Remember he said, oh, no, I can't go back to prison. Remember we had this deal that we, if it fails, we either get away or we or kill we ourselves. Kill ourselves, yeah. yeah. So what are we going to do? And in the car, sure, uh, Sonny's saying, no, 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 you know, we're not we're not making plans like that. So obviously there's something that happened in the past. He couldn't go back to prison. He said, I'm not going back to prison. But then to see him shot, so uh, quite sad at the end and as, as we said the, the real guy got out quite soon and he used to stand outside that bank with a t-shirt I robbed this bank and wait and get photographs to get money so there's a documentary um, about him called The Dog The Dog yeah and uh, as part of the research I turned it on and I probably watched the first 20 minutes and turned it off yeah it's the, now the people that were doing it were the same they watched this film Dog the Afternoon and they, they wanted and they didn't realise that they thought he was still in prison and they were searching and seeing that he had got out so they just rang his mother they searched because he said that the surname was quite uh, unusual. They searched it online, rang the mother, and the mother said, "Yeah, come on around and talk." And then he went and interviewed the mother, and she said, "I'll ring him." And then he came round with a, he came round with a bag and, uh, for the interview, and he opened it, all these stills of nudes of people he had been with, like and showing them. Look, this one, uh, just yeah, photographs of his yeah. ex lovers. Yeah, he, yeah, he wasn't. He was not a nice guy. We've said this oh. before. He's, he, he wasn't a nice guy. And, and it, well, sorry, not a very likable, not a very likable character. I mean, the documentary was on for maybe ten minutes, and I turned it off. Yeah, well, let's be clear. We're not trying to say that he's not likable because of his sexuality, not at all. Because the gay community was quite split on this guy. That he knew what he was like, yeah. and he was saying this is not a nice man. But he even he the, the real kid, the real Sal. They were staying in a hotel, and he said to he said to me, "No, we're going to have to have sex." And he made the young guy have sex with him in real life, like before they robbed the bank. So you know, it, it we we were kind of debating whether to discuss this stuff because it does take away from the film and the likability of it, you know. And that that was a big challenge for Sidney Lumet in in making the film. That there was a lot of stuff that he had to kind of omit to make these characters sort of anti-heroes, the bad guys you want to cheer for. Yeah, and I wonder if it had been so. If it had been heavily scripted, would have relied on more sticking to the facts, and maybe that's what he wasn't happy with. That was sticking to all these facts, and we say, "Oh, well, let these guys just go off and see if we create something bigger." As well, it was so fresh in the public domain, and it was so fresh in people's minds. You know, as I said, um, Pacino said that he he watched it on TV. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that was that's um, Dog Day Afternoon. That was Dog Day Afternoon. And if you haven't seen it, we hope you because we, we know we've got emails and texts from people who said you know I've never seen that movie I'm going to check it out now which is great that's what we want we want to encourage you to watch encourage you to watch the classics and for next week we're going to encourage you all to watch the classics because I think we'll throw it out to the audience to pick our next movie yeah we've been discussing we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to put a poll up on our social medias on our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and you have an option it's up to you what we cover next week so we've got four options and the options are Beverly Hills Cop, Police Academy, Lethal Weapon, and 48 Hours. Yeah, so we leave it up to you. You can pick. Uh, there might be even a prize if you put up why you want us to pick that film and give us a good enough reason. Yeah, well, we're going to be running a little competition uh, in partnership. There's with still it. some t-shirts, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is actually. Yeah, we need to get more t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be running a competition in partnership with the Power Tool Hub. And uh, we'll put all that up on the, on the, the social medias. And we might tie in this poll with that competition. Yeah. 
So we say, if you can back up why we should do this movie and give us a good reason. And it, it, whoever gives us the best reason why we should do the movie, not just the one that's picked the most, we could, we could, it could poll out and somebody could give us a really good reason and we, we just might decide to pick that. We might be non-democratic and knock out the popular vote. <laughs> yeah, so we, we do actually, we, we do get some hilarious comments and messages and you know even text messages from friends asking questions about the podcast, about the reason behind picking films, about things that we've said mistakes that we've made and everything i got one from a, a, a voice a phone call a voicemail i rang him back he said i was just um want to talk to you about a film that i'd love you to talk about he said i've seen it years ago russell crowe was in it and it's about hollywood and in in, in the 50s the nice guys no no and i i, 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 I said confidential. yeah but he says to me la confidential la uh, and i says what he goes yeah that film la confidential I think you mean LA Confidential. So perhaps we might do like Confidential. Yeah. And then the other, the, another one I heard years ago was, oh yeah, you should do The Last Boy Is Out. It's the Last Boy Scout. Somebody said you should do The Last Boy Is Out. So I don't know. Yeah, but we, we do have a list. Um, one of the listeners, Brian Leach, a couple of weeks ago was giving us a few of, you know, suggestions like um, the, the Big Lebowski and stuff. And it is on our list. And right now that, that list looks like a roll of toilet roll. Yeah, so we've, long. we've so many films and so little time. What's that elf? <laughs> We're trying to get to. Uh, we, have our, we have our kind of agenda done up for Christmas and up to Christmas, so we're going to have a Christmas classic for the Christmas week episode. Is it a Christmas movie? I can tell you, it's not because I got it from the horse's mouth. But we'll have that. We'll save it for the episode. Yeah. So once again, we just like to thank our sponsors, PowerToolHub.ie. Uh, the PowerToolHub.ie offer the sales and service of all top power tool brands, including Dewalt, Makita. Bosch, Milwaukee, Hitachi, Paslo, Senko, and many, many more. You can find them at Brooks Builders Providers Dublin 12 and at Sandyford Dublin 18 and also at www.powertoolhub.ie. And don't forget when you're ordering all of your power tools, mention Let Christy Take It. I'm sure Jer and all the team at Power Tool Hub will offer you a nice discount. Take care and get voting. Sexuals are holding hostages for their demands of a helicopter, a jet, funny. and safe passage out. Funny, they said on a TV, two homosexuals in a bank, right on TV. Did you hear what they said? The what difference does it make? They don't matter. They're going to say anything they want. Let them say. Well, I'm not a homosexual. You tell them to get that right. Now, that's, that's, that's going out on the TV. Are you talking to me? There's no one else here. You must be talking to me. Well, that was an antique. Crap! <laughs>